So would you pray with us? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we ask for forgiveness because revival starts with us. It starts with our hearts. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, we've been seeking other gods. We've been seeking other idols. We've been seeking materialism, Lord. And, and Father, we just lay those down. Father, we pray that you would do revival in our hearts. Your Holy Spirit would move among us, Father. That we would grow and be all that you want us to be, Father. So, Father, we ask for revival in our hearts. And we pray that the love of Jesus would overflow out of our lives into this community. Lord, my heart weeps. I want everyone in this community to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we are a broken nation in so many ways, and we are sinful. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. So Lord, we just come crying out to you, Lord. Move on us. Move on this body right here. Move on this community, Lord. Move on this nation. And Lord, move on the college campuses, McPherson and Central, Lord. Move on them, Father, all around the area college campuses, that the Spirit of God would be at work and the students would be crying out for you, Lord, because we want more of you and less of us. And so, Lord, we just ask you, Lord, do a good work in us, that we would be representatives of Jesus Christ, and that we would be boldly proclaiming the gospel everywhere we go. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you would continue to pour out this spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to be in Judges chapter 13 today, Judges chapter 13, as we kind of have been moving through the book of Judges, and we've made it through all the Judges except one, probably the most well-known story uh, is Samson, okay, maybe the most well-known in all the Old Testament, but when, you know, about 40, 45 years ago, psychologists came up with this idea of a word association game. It would help you understand kind of the, you know, underlayings of your subconscious patterns. So maybe they would say a word like, you know, heart, and you would respond with, maybe some of you would respond with passionate, or some of you would respond with brokenness, and that would tell them what it reveals about maybe your subconscious and where you're at. So if I said today, night, what would you say? Some of you might say day. Some of you also might say, you know, relax. Some of you also might say lonely, right? Depending on where you're at and maybe things that are going on in your life. So when I say the word Samson, what comes to your mind? What? Yeah, Delilah, I heard. I heard strong. I heard long hair. Anyone think of Schwarzenegger? Here's a little picture, you know. This is what we probably have an image of, a lot of us think. But I got to tell you, there is a question whether Samson was really well built at all, okay? Because he wasn't supposed to be the picture of the ultimate male. He was a picture of what God can do through people with the power of his spirit in them. And that's what we see. So he might have been a little bit even more normal than we realize. So Samson's story comes towards the end of the book of Judges. And in fact, he's the uh, this last judge. We're going to learn a lot about him. There's actually three different chapters kind of att attached to him. So there's a lot of material. There's a lot of different um, uh, minute points that we'll get to symbolism, get to bring up as well, because it's going to bring up kind of the summarize all of the book of Judges. And it's also going to point us beyond the book of Judges, which we'll see today. But at this point in Judges, i got to tell you, have, are you sick of the people of Israel just keep turning over their sinful cycle? 
I mean, it's like, are they ever going to wake up? Like we were rooting them on after a few times. We're like, they're going to wake up out of this sinful cycle. But here's the cycle. It seems like it's this act of disobedience. It's become permanent at this point. So they start out in fellowship with God, right? They're enjoying their relationship with God. Then all of a sudden, their hearts are drawn into the worship of other gods. There's idolatry. And then they, God says, okay, I'm going to punish you. And he allows them to be enslaved and controlled by these other gods, these other communities. And then there's a spirit of repentance when they suffer and they repent and they cry out to God, Lord, we need your help. And then there's deliverance. God raises up a judge. There's a time of peace and a time of blessing. And then what happens? They go along with it for a while. The judge dies and they forget all about the Lord and they continue the cycle over and over again. Well, we'd hope they'd snap out of it and it seems like it's become a permanent part of what's going on with the people of Israel. And so we're going to see this kind of in-depth story of Samson in the midst of it. So chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 1 if you have your Bibles. This is what it says. And the people of Israel again, again, and again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Okay, 40 equals the number of judgment and completion. So this is like the ultimate judgment on sin for 40 years. And I'm just going to tell you the Philistines were bad, bad people. Okay, they were ruthless people. A little bit about the Philistines, just so you know a little bit. They were extremely sophisticated, okay? Both in their weaponry, their, also their architecture, their culture was more advanced than any other civilization at their time. Their weaponry, I, I got to tell you, they were the first ones to work with iron. They made weapons out of iron. They were the first ones to start to use military battle formations. So we're going to line up in 12s and we're going to attack from different sides. So they used formations. They were very, very militarized, okay? Um, they also had their architecture and their uh, was beautiful. They would have multi-story buildings that they were building at this time. They would also have bridges that they could build. And Israel, in the meantime, is just kind of like hanging out with the sheep. All right, so they were very advanced. The second thing is, is they were very wretched. They were depraved. Okay, so they, their whole civilization was built upon stealing and conquest and military just overtaking them. They actually also had very amazing parties. Their parties were epic, okay? Uh, they had this word that they pioneered called the, the, the misdef. And that was literally means a week-long drinking fest, okay? So they were pretty epic. They also were really big into pork, okay? They uh, had Israel's countryside filled with, you know, pigs that were unclean, and they were unspeakably cruel. When they came in and took someone over, they didn't just, like, kill them. They tortured them, okay? They would just poke at them and, and, and make it very, very painful. They were ruthless. This is the Philistines. It's kind of like they represent the enemies of God at their very best, okay? They're strongest. Numerically, they were stronger. Culturally, economically, military-wise, they were all superior to Israel. So, verse 2, let's continue on. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Nights whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Real quickly, I want to give you a couple observations just from those couple verses. 
The first observation is, if you read between verse 1 and 2, what's missing from all the other stories? There's really no cry for repentance, is there? You know, these people, if they're going to be saved, it's not because God's going to wait on them to seek Him. He's going to have to seek them. So they don't cry out for repentance like most of all the other stories we've heard. The second thing I want you to see is that this is the first time a judge is promised before birth. You see, every other judge, God just raised somebody up who was already alive. They will be your judge, and He used them. And so it's kind of saying to them, hey, your Savior is going to be, have to be someone that I start from very scratch with, okay? So it kind of lets us know that. The third thing I want you to see is that they, the promise is given to a barren woman, okay, who is nearing old age and has no kids. Now, I've told you probably before, but barrenness in those days was like the ultimate devastation for a woman, and I know it's hard in our, our day as well. It's very difficult, painful. It can be very emotional. But friends, in their day, all of their hopes, their future hopes were bound up in their kids. The society was an agriculture society. So that means the more boys you had, the more you had to go work the fields and make more crops, have more income for your family. Also, there was no, you know, uh, retirement at this time, no savings for retirement. So the more kids you had, the better chance you had of being taken care of really well in your old age. Also, the nation depended upon large families and more kids. So the economy and the military health was based upon how many kids that would be born. And so if you were a, a mom that had a lot of kids, you would be kind of almost exemplified as a hero because of all the different kids that you have put into military service or helped with the economy. One scholar said that barrenness in ancient texts symbolized hopelessness, for without children there was no foreseeable future for yourself, for your family, or for your people. And I know that we don't think like this today. Our, our mindset's probably, you know, what our college education is, or what degree, or what job I get. Those are kind of where we've find our security, but for this woman's vantage point, there was no security and there was no hope. The fourth thing I want you to notice about this is that we don't get her name. We're never told her name, which is kind of odd because this story is filled with little details all throughout it. We know the dad's name, right? We know Manoah, but Samson's mother is only referred to as the woman. And the author is intentionally somehow painting her as kind of obscure. And in just a minute, I might show you there's some clues that she might not be a God-seeking woman, okay? So we'll point that out in just a moment as well. And the th fifth point I want you to see is that God brings his salvation. And it's, not for, it's for people with no hope and no prospect of saving in and of themselves. So what does that mean for you and I today? It means that no matter who you are today, what your circumstances, you find yourself here in life, what mistakes you've made, whatever weaknesses you have or whatever hope that you don't feel is there for you, friends, there will be hope for you in Jesus Christ. That's good news. And it's not just about turning your life over and getting a little bit better or having a child on your own strength. It's only found by receiving God's gift of grace and that he loves you. It's one of the most humbling but sweetest things and truths that we could ever acknowledge. God has set 
his affection on you. He loves you. I want to show you how he loves you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. This is what it says. God clearly explains this to Israel. He says, It's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. Meaning you weren't the strongest, you weren't the most sophisticated, you weren't the most moral even. But verse 8 says, but it's because the Lord loves you. He loves you like you love one of your children. I got to tell you, I don't love them because they look so good or they're so smart or brilliant. I love them because they're mine. And that's how God loves you today too. And I hope that you're encouraged by that. And one of the things I've learned in my walk with the Lord is I don't, you know, sometimes we think we're how hard we're holding on and how tightly we hold on to the Lord. Friend, I've learned that he's holding on to me a lot more tightly than I'm holding on to him. And that gives me encouragement today. So we're going to continue on. Verse 4 of chapter 13, this is what it says. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing clean. That's the verse I wanted to point out to you that one way we know that this was probably not a righteous woman because she wouldn't have to be told to start avoiding unclean things. She just would have been doing that already. So here we know that. Verse 5, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. So real quickly, I'm going to talk about what the Nazarite vow was, okay? This is a vow that was really intense, Okay, the first point of the, the vow is that you would have never cut your hair, okay, during the vow. You don't cut your hair. The second part is that you don't drink anything from the vine. What does that mean? No wine, no alcohol, no Concord grape juice, right? No juices. The only thing that you would have probably been able to drink was milk or water. So nothing from the vine that you would drink. And then the third part of it was you couldn't touch any dead bodies of any kind, okay? So that was the Nazarite vow. It was usually, uh, people would commit to it only for short little periods because it, they were seeking the Lord about something really intense. And so they would seek the Lord and they would commit to the Nazarite vow. Well, Samson does this from birth, okay? So he doesn't cut his hair from birth, which means that he probably would have looked like, more like you remember the Duck Dynasty, the Robertson family? Anyone know that show? Okay, that's probably, you know, a good example of what it would look like. And it was a symbol from God that the God's Savior would one day be set apart and holy as, and sinless like Jesus was. So, and the verse continues on in verse 5. It says, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. It says begin there. That's kind of a strange word. You know, so... Who's going to finish it? So we're at the end of the book of Judges. You're reading it, right? And so he, it ends with Samson beginning something. So where will it be concluded? It won't be concluded until the New Testament, friend. And we'll see that at the end of the message today. So uh, he, finally, uh, Manoah goes to his wife and says, hey, ask God to send the angel back. And God does. So she goes and gets Manoah. And one of the first things he does... In verse 15, go to verse 15, it says, And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel, I want you to know, this is something, the angel of the Lord won't do this. He won't sit and have a meal with them. Because having a meal with them in that culture meant that you were at peace. Okay? And that, there was no peace 
between God and Israel at this moment. So he's like, I'm not going to have a meal with you. But then Manoah starts to just blast the angel with questions. Tons and tons of questions. Go to verse 12. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what's his mission? All these questions. Verse 17. What's your name? So that when the words come true, we may honor you. We need the kind of the instruction manuals. What's going to happen? You know, what does he want? All the details. Verse 18, the angel responds. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, I want you to know wonderful here means divine. It's almost exclusively used in the Old Testament for God as wonderful here. So the Manoah wants the details what, about what you want to do. And God says, look to who I am. Look to my name. Worship me for who I am. And I feel like that's pretty typical of God in his response to people in the Bible when they ask all these questions of faith. And, and sometimes, you know what, we ask questions, don't we? But I got to tell you, if you're waiting for all of your questions to get answered, you're, that's probably not going to happen, friend. So we, we do that all the time. We say, what's my future, Lord? Why has this happened? You know, why in the world would this happen to me? And the Lord just says, you know what? Can you see my name? It's wonderful. Let your mind drift there. That's what we need to do. And, and so many times in the midst of my doubts, I have to learn to reflect upon how wonderful God is. And I start to remember, I look at that sunset. I say, I see your beauty. I see your power, God. I see your majesty. We come and we worship in here. We worship a holy God. And that helps me set aside some of my questions. Because friends, if you get too much into the details, it, it just blows your mind. I mean, there was a study done on thinking about how Jesus fed 5,000 people, okay? Just the logistics of it. Did you know if for all 5,000 people to eat eight ounces, how much energy it would take to make all of that food? Because they were full enough that there was leftovers. And, and some scientists came up with a number that it would take all the electrical power in the world working at 100% of the time for four years to produce that. And Jesus does that without even breaking a sweat. So friend, sometimes we have to lay down our questions and just focus and hear how wonderful his name is. Just focus and hear the Lord's love for you today. So let's continue on. Verse 19 of chapter 13. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And so remember, instead of doing dinner, he said, I won't do dinner with you, but you can make an offering, a burnt offering to me. So he makes this burnt offering. Verse 20, and when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar and Manoah and his wife fell with their faces on the ground. They immediately put their faces to the ground. Verse 22, and Manoah said to his wife, you know, if you can kind of imagine their face is literally in the dirt, kind of being muffled by it. We shall surely die, for we've seen God. But his wife said this to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hand, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. Now, I might have been a little bit hard on Samson's mom at this point, but let me point out something incredibly amazing about her. She responds, her response is probably among the greatest of all women of faith in their response. 
in the Bible. She simply says, I trust him. I'm ready to obey all that he has said. And that was better than the response of Sarah with Abraham. Remember, she laughed when God told her that you're going to have a child in your old age. It's better than Elizabeth. Elizabeth, what did she do? She doubted the angel when he told her that you'd have a baby in your old age. This is one of the, one of the two incredible responses in the scriptures of a woman responding just openly to the Lord, like Mary did. When Mary heard about that she was going to have the birth of this impossible birth, this is what she said. Well, be it unto me according to your word. I believe what you promised and I'll do all that you have said. Friends, that's the only response that pleases God. I believe what you have promised and I'll do what you said. This woman, very, not very impressive, right? She's not very impressive on the outside. She's kind of lived a rough life, but her response is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And what an incredible response that is. And I pray that that would be true for us today, that we respond, yes, Lord. Because the great, there's only one, way to, one of two ways to answer, yes, Lord, or no, Lord. And I got to tell you, the only other response in saying yes, Lord, a lot of times we like to fill up our schedules with religion. We get busy. We say, God, this is what we do in religion. We negotiate with God. That's what we do. God, I'll do this for you, but then I expect this in return. And let me tell you, friend, he doesn't come to negotiate. He doesn't come to just influence bad people into being better people. Friends, he doesn't come to just influence your life a little bit. No, he wants radical change. Lay down your life. Say yes, Lord, to him. Have you guys seen those um, bumper stickers that says, God is my co-pilot? Have you seen those? Well, I'm telling you, friend, rip that off. <laughs> because here's the deal. When he comes to your life, he says, that life, that, that, that's my car. Okay, you stole it. He says, get out. And he says, you get in the backseat of your life and say, God, it all belongs to you. Where are we going? Right? That's what we need to respond with. Lord, where are we going? What do you have in store for me? It's your lordship. And, and a relationship with the Lord is either you are or you aren't in a relationship with the Lord. It's not like faithfulness in a marriage. It's not like I'm 92% faithful. No, you're either faithful or you're not faithful, Okay. And that's what we, 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 we don't negotiate, okay? That's what religion does. And I want you to know that's what Jephthah did last week, if you remember that story as well. Faith just surrenders. Let's continue on, verse 24. And the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the young men grew, and the Lord blessed him. And so we have some indicators right there that there's going to be some trouble. Okay, Samson's name, Samson. It's actually a tribute to the sun god, okay? So Samson's life is going to be filled with compromise, and we're going to see this. I'm going to lay out for you four areas of compromise we're going to see, and we're going to expand on this next week. I just want you to know, come back, and we're going to expand on these. But these are the areas of compromise, if you want to write them down. Number one is compromise. That's what he does. He's going to break all three of those provisions of the Nazarite vow, remember? No wine, no dead bodies, and no cut hair. In chapter 14, Samson falls in love with a Philistine girl, okay? Which is an obvious problem already because she doesn't even share the same God as him, okay? 
But he says, I don't really care. And then she, he's going to throw himself a mista, a week-long keg party, okay? But a few days before the party, a lion attacks him. In uh, chapter 14, verse 6, this is what it says. He tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Okay? I love that because the analogy there is as, as one tears a young goat. Anyone torn a young goat? I mean, it must have been so common back then that they actually tore young goats up. They're like, ah, oh, you know, that's just like how he tore the lion apart, right? Well, evidently a lot of people did that. So kind of funny there. Uh, a few days later, he sees the carcass of the lion that he killed, and he notices up in the lion, in the abdomen, there's a beehive. So he scoops out some of the honey with his hands, and he eats it, violating the command to never touch a dead carcass. And then, of course, he ends up cutting his hair, which leads to his downfall. So he compromises. That's going to be a danger. The second thing he does is he's very impulsive. This is just his life. Throughout his life, he's just controlled by his passions. So he gets hungry for honey. He gets the honey, right? He's just impulsive. He wants a woman. He just takes this Philistine woman. And, and when his parents find out that he's, gonna, uh, he want, he's interested in this Philistine woman, they, they say, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. And here's what he says in verse 3. He says, get her for me because she pleases me. He's just impulsive. That's who he is. And every time he gets mad, it's, he kills people. All of Samson's great feats of strength come because he's been personally you know, insulted or angered. We kind of get this image of a guy that's on roid rage, right? He's just attacking everybody all the time. Let me give you one quick illustration of his impulsiveness. So after Samson eats the honey out of the carcass, okay, he comes to, and he's on his way to that week-long party, his bachelor party. He, he tells, hey, there's 30 Philistine guys there. He says, let's make a deal, okay? He says, I'm going to tell you a riddle. And we're going to make it kind of interesting. If you can't figure out the riddle within the next seven days, I'm going to, uh, if you can figure it out, I'm going to give you each a suit of clothes. But if you can't figure it out, guess what? You're going to have to give me a suit of clothes. Well, they try to figure it out and they can't figure it out. So what do they do? They're like, ah, we're going to go to the bride, the bride-to-be. So they go to the bride-to-be, say, if you can get Samson to tell us uh, the, the riddle, but if you don't get him to tell us the riddle, then we're going to burn down your parents' house and your father in, in it. So she goes to Samson and he asks, she asks him for it. He won't give it to her. So she starts to weep. You don't love me. You don't love me. You won't tell me the answer to the riddle. Verse 17, this is what happens. She wept before him uh, the seven days that their feast lasted. I bet that was a really great party, wasn't it? You know, oh, she's still crying. Yep, seven days, still crying. Yep. So, and on the seventh day, he told her, he told her because she pressed him hard. And then she told the riddle to her people and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, ah, you know, says, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And then um, another great verse, Samson says, in verse 17 and 18, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Okay, free advice, men, free advice. Okay, don't let anyone plow with your wife. Very dangerous. Don't let them plow with your wife. Number two, don't call him a heifer. Okay, not good idea. Okay, so Samson is ticked 
about this deal. He knows what they did. So he goes and he kills 30 other Philistines, steals their clothes, and says, here you go. Here's your suits of clothes, all bloody and torn and ripped. And his whole life, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's sad too, because that's his whole life, just kind of so impulsive. And I, I thought, you know, who would be so impulsive, right? To, you could be the strongest man alive, but all you have to do is not give into that little taste of honey. But friend, don't we do that all the time? Don't we give into like God's, the trust that God has placed into us, give into his promises? We throw it away for the slightest bit of honey in our lives. A little bit of satisfaction just for a moment. That's what we do too, friend. It's very dangerous. So make sure, you know, there's com- competitiveness, there's impulsiveness. The third one is entitlement. I'm not going to go into this one, but this is his attitude. I deserve that honey. It's, I'm going to get it because I deserve it. And that's how, you know, you know it's, he just decides he'll take it because he's entitled to it. And the fourth one is pride. And this is everything in his life starts to become about him. As you read through these chapters, these, last, these three chapters, Samson uses the word I an awful lot. And he leverages that God-given strength, uh, you know, for him, not using it for God's place, but he uses that strength for himself. And that's why he eventually cuts his hair. He's convinced himself that he's got incredible strength from himself, not from God. So, friends, for all of us, that's a danger in our lives, that is a threat to our walk with the Lord when we are com- compromising, full of impulsiveness, you know, the entitlement that it's all ours anyway, and pride that's dangerous for us. But the last thing I want you to see here to connect this back to chapter 13 as we wrap it up Jesus will complete what Samson begins. Jesus is that better Samson. We've talked about this at the end of every one of our sermons about Jesus. That's the whole most important thing about the story. Samson starts it in verse 5 of chapter 13. Jesus is the one that will fill it. Just a couple quick comparisons. Jesus' birth and Samson's birth are incredibly similar. They're both promised before birth, right? And Samson's was giving us a picture of how the real Savior would come one day to give us an example of it. And then the birth of Samson and Jesus were also both miraculous, right? Samson's mom was barren. You know, Mary was a virgin. And then one difference is, is Samson brought, the birth of Samson brought a lot of joy, okay, and honor in the midst of a season of shame. But the birth of Jesus actually brought disgrace. Mary and Joseph were embarrassed because they, you know, thought they had, everyone looked like to everyone else they'd had Jesus out of wedlock. And so the real Savior would enter into our shame and take it upon himself and die for it. I want you to know Jesus is the true Samson and the better Samson. He's the one that will succeed every place that Samson failed. Samson, I want you to know, like Samson, Jesus' strength would not reside in his beauty, his you know, strength, but it would reside in the indwelling of the power of the Spirit of God. And unlike Samson, Jesus never compromised. I want you to know, he would keep every facet of God's word without sin. And instead of being controlled by impulses, he was controlled by God's will. He said, God, what is your will? Remember the 40 days in the desert? And he was tempted and tempted by Satan. And what does he say? It's not by bread alone. I don't live by bread. I live by God's word. 
And he does that all not to please himself, to please God. That's why he does it. Remember in Gethsemane, when he's praying, he said, Lord, if there's any other way, is there any other way? He says, uh, hey, Lord, let it be like your will be done. That's what I want. Not my will, but your will be done. And so we see that Jesus is the real Samson who gave his life to save you. So that the strong, he was strong, but he became weak for us. And he was righteous and he became our sin. So instead of saying, sometimes we say, you know, I want it, I want it. Instead of saying that, we want to say, I want to do God's will. Instead of saying, you know what, I deserve it. Look how much I've done. Look how much I've given. Look how much I've attended. I deserve it. You say, I don't deserve anything. I deserve death and condemnation, but it's only by your grace. Instead of saying my strengths, my talents, my abilities, you know what? You say, oh, it's uh, without you, Jesus, none of it's possible. It's only for your glory. It's only through you and for you. And instead of saying, you know what? Sometimes say, I can handle it. I can handle it. No, you say, I, I can't handle anything without God. I can't handle anything without God, but I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we thank you for this example of Samson and his life. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we would be looking for areas of our lives that we may be struggling or compromising. And Lord, we we need your uh, strength there. But Lord, we just turn over to you and we say, uh, your will be done. Father, we want to lift up your will in our lives. Father, that we would live for you. It would be by your strength and by the power of your spirit in us that we can live for you and shine for Jesus in you. So God, will you just uh, move on us this morning? Use us. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a blessed week.